Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders. This is the show where I speak with the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today I am thrilled to be joined by the superb Aki Hussain. Now, Aki has over two decades worth of professional experience across a number of industries, including banking, insurance, accounting, and he's currently the Chief Financial Officer for Hiscox PLC. Prior to joining Hiscox, Aki was the Chief Financial Officer for Prudential UK and Europe and has held a number of senior positions across the board within the financial services, telecoms and media sectors. He was also finance director for the Consumer Bank Division at Lloyd's Banking Group, before which he was finance director for the Consumer Division of NTL, which is now called Virgin Media. Aki's also a chained accountant, having changed in his early days with KPMG. He's a first class BA degree in accounting and finance from the University of Leeds. Um, and he's also a fellow of the ICAEW. He sits on the board um, wearing a number of other hats on top of his day job for Visa Europe as an independent non-executive director and audit committee chair. Welcome to the show, Aki. Thank you, Leila, and I'm uh, delighted to be here and uh, somewhat flattered by being included in this group. Bless you, not at all. And I could have, to be honest with you, talked for probably 20 minutes about some of the amazing things that you've done through your wealth of experience within your career. Um, but I think for some of the listeners who are tuning in today, be they CEOs and non-execs, through to young, ambitious graduates, I wonder whether you could talk us through how you came to be in this position, wearing these multiple hats. And, you know, I guess, did you see yourself as well in this position when you were, when you were a youngster kind of growing up? up on that corporate ladder? Um, that's, a, that's a great question, Leila. I mean, I, I, I mean, to start with the, the last part of your question, no, I, I, I never imagined I'd be here. In fact, I didn't know what, did not know what here meant. I didn't know what a CFO was as I was growing up. Um, I, mean, I, uh, I mean, my background is I, look, I'm, a, I'm a second generation uh, British Pakistani. My parents came from Pakistan in the 1960s. I'm the youngest of six by some way. So my, my uh, four brothers and sister are quite a bit older than I am. We, we lived and we, were, we grew up in a small uh, northern industrial town in, in Yorkshire, pretty far from the big smoke of, of London and financial services and, uh, and so on. And uh, frankly, as I was growing up, I had no idea, uh, no idea what uh, financial services, what CFO was or indeed any idea of London, frankly. Uh, it was a very different, uh, different upbringing. Um, but I guess as I, in, in those early days, the one thing that was drummed into me uh, day in, day out um, by my father was to, was education. He saw, as being a first generation immigrant in the country, he saw education as the key to unlocking um, the future and potential. And I remember one of the one uh, this was this was a long time ago. I think when I was about ten or eleven years old, uh, my father, who used to work in a um, in a textile factory in in West Yorkshire, he took me along to an open day at his workplace. I remember it very clearly because I mean he didn't take me there because he was fantastically proud of where he worked and therefore wanted to show me what he what he did. 
he was taking me there as a lesson. He said, this is not the place you want to end up and that you want to work hard at school and, and, and end up in a different place. And I have to say, I totally ignored him um, because, you know, as, as you do, um, uh, or I thought I did, but obviously some of that stuck at the back of my head. And, um, you know, uh, education, I do regard as being incredibly important, uh, allowing, uh, being that sort of kernel of driving social mobility uh, globally, frankly, wherever you are, it is the key to unlocking potential. Thank you so much for sharing, Aki, in particular, some of those personal stories from the, your youth. And, you know, I love how almost the, um, you know, I have these in- images in my head, which have been conjured up of you being walking around factories, you know, taking advice from your father and everything like that. Yet, um, you know, also being as candid to say, you didn't actually know what a CFO did back then. You know, talk to me a little bit about that path and, and finding your place within that corporate world, because, you know, I think it's it's fascinating how almost those, those younger experiences have actually really shaped then the leader that you have become today, if that makes sense. I think it's probably worthwhile starting a little bit earlier with, uh, I mean, I, I, I was incredibly fortunate in having some fantastic teachers at my, my high school and then subsequently when I was doing my A-levels. And, and certainly a, a name that comes to mind first and foremost is, is Mr. Woodrow, who was a, was a fantastic teacher. He was a history lecturer at university, uh, sorry, at, um, at, my, uh, at my college. And it, it, is, it is people like those who, people like uh, Mr. Woodrow, who helped increase my aspirations as to actually what was possible and where to go next. Because again, if you think about my context, uh, my parents were from a foreign country. Um, they're, they're working in, my father was working in a factory with limited knowledge of the UK education system and what happens next. Next, But what he did know was education was really important. And, and therefore, uh, and careers advice was, at that time was pretty limited, uh, particularly in, the, in some of the schools that I went to. And therefore, but for teachers like Mr. Woodrow, who gave me pointers and directions as to what to do next because you could see there was something here, something that was worthwhile maybe uh, paying a little bit of attention to. And I, I, academically, I, I kind of, I just, I did well. And and therefore I gained some of the, the, the attention. So I would say Mr. Woodrow really stood out as the person who kind of encouraged me to progress, go on, go to university. I have to say when I went to uni, I had no idea what to do. I, I, I went and did a course because my friends were doing the course. Um, and um, reason. So I, I, absolutely, so I ended up doing accounting and finance where I found I loved it, really enjoyed it, really enjoyed it. And I have to say, even then, I had no clear idea of what I was going to do next. But for again, going through the careers fairs at university, and uh, certainly at that time in the in the 1990s, the big four I think it might have been the big six at the time the accounting firms they had the most lavish. Uh, stalls with the best looking people and so on. So you're just attracted to them and you think, okay, I'm going to go there. And, and, I, and that's how I drifted into uh, looking for, a, for a, uh, an opportunity in, in that part of the economy. And you know, fortunately, I was lucky enough to get a job with, uh, with KPMG after, a, after a, an internship with them. And I, I spent three years with them and qualified as a chartered accountant. And what you need in this sort of what you need in life is is drive, but then you need other people to give you opportunity. 
and I was certainly given that at KPMG. And I, I, again, I remember one of the partners there. He was a senior manager at the time, but a partner now called Darren Turner. Again, uh, an inspirational leader who again took a bet on me and gave me some opportunities pretty early on, having only been in the business for a year, a year and a half, uh, which again catapulted me forward in terms of experience and again allowed me to progress within KPMG. But then I, I, I left and moved into industry. And I guess throughout my career within industry, I've been incredibly lucky working with some of the most talented, inspirational leaders. And each time they've taken a bet and said, and given me an opportunity, often when I've had no experience in that particular field, but they've seen some potential. Um, when I joined a company called Energis after leaving KPMG, I was hired by a, uh, by a fellow called Paul Knudsen, an incredible leader again, very talented, very driven. And three months into my role as a business analyst, I got promoted to become the head of the business planning function, managing three or four analysts. And, and that was purely because he thought my talent was being wasted as being, a, uh, as being an analyst. And again, he took a bet. I didn't know much about the business, but he, but, but he took a bet on me. A few years later, I'd moved on to, to NTL, uh, initially working for uh, um, uh, a chap called Peter Savage. And this is what I mean about the drive as well. So I ended up working, uh, and I was there as the finance director of a business unit. And I thought I could run the call centers. So I'd never managed more than 10 or 15 people at this time. And the call centers ran into, I think, a few hundred people. But I thought I could do it. So I asked the CEO. I said, look, I, I, I think I could do this. And I laid out a skeleton plan of how I would do it and, and also what benefits I could bring. And to be fair to him, he thought about it for about 48 hours and then he came back and said, okay. Wow. And I, I, I got the keys to the call centers and actually it was a success. Turned out really well, thankfully. Uh, it's one of the bets that paid off. I then ended again, I, and, but that increased my profile within the organization. And I got promoted and, and, and became, uh, uh, I got a job in the group function. And then eventually ended up working for a fellow called Azad Hussein, no relation, who was the CEO of the consumer division. And then he hired me in as his CFO. And he is, he's a bear of a man. He's six foot six, huge, with the intellect, the charisma, and the drive to go with it. And he really catapulted me in terms of, as a, in terms of my idea of what could be possible, and in terms of a role model. And he's one of those leaders who gives a lot, who gives energy to other people. And again, he was, he was a phenomenal person to work with for a number of years. And after NTL, I ended up uh, working at Lloyd's TSB, which is now Lloyd's Bank. And this is another instance where somebody took a bet on me when I had never worked in banking, did not have any particular expertise. But again, I was hired in by, by Tim Tukey, who subsequently became the CFO of the of the Lloyds of Lloyd's Bank. And we worked together for three years incredibly well. Again, he's a really optimistic, energetic guy. And again, who took a bet on me. I didn't know anything about banking. He brought me in because he thought he could see some potential and gave me a great opportunity. And then I became the CFO of the consumer division. Uh, so time and time again, when I look at, through my career, yes, there's been drive, 
but that drive has then been harnessed because people have taken a bet and given me the opportunity. And then more recently, in I think back in 2000 and uh, was it? I think 2009, I ended up working for a company called Prudential, which is one of the largest insurance companies in the world. And I was um, I, I I was hired in by a fellow called Tijan Thiam, who again amongst the sort of array of fantastic leaders that I've worked with stands probably right at the pinnacle as frankly the most inspirational leader, intelligent, charisma, and person with the drive. Uh, and again, he took me on uh, and gave me a job within within the insurance business. And then I later became uh, the CFO of Prudential UK and Europe. Again, insurance was not a business I knew a great deal about, but they understood that actually there was drive, this person who would get things done. And right now at Hiscox, I work with a, a pretty amazing bunch of people, but I'll, I'll spare their blushes uh, for when I see them next time. But I, I guess the story there, uh, Leila, is... is Education and drive isn't enough. It gets you a long way, but it isn't enough. And what I was very lucky with is having uh, people who would expand their network, look beyond the norm, uh, and hire people who were often quite different from them, but because they could see some talent and some some drive there. And then having and, and all those people I named, they've all shaped my career to a greater or lesser extent, you know, throughout the last 25, 20, 25 years. And and I can name them, you know, those names just roll off my tongue because many of them I still know and still, uh, I'm still quite close to, uh, but because they were and have been inspirational leaders for me who've taught me a great deal. It is absolutely fascinating listening to some of the underlying underlying themes almost throughout that linear journey that you have gone on over the years. And as you say, you know, those leaders, whether they be even small things that they say, they're pieces that you take with you throughout your life, you know, personal life, career, that you really come back to and kind of remember on. And it's um, you know, really wonderful sometimes just to to reflect on those moments because you, when you're very, very driven, as as you clearly are. Aki, I think you're always looking at what's next, what's next um, to come. Um, But rarely is there that time of of stopping and standing still to then reflect how far you have come up that mountain. But I'm going to come back to a couple of the pieces you mentioned, if you don't mind, because, um, you know, what I thought was really, really interesting is that there was a lot of modesty throughout what, what you were saying there, which is really nice. And I find very inspirational to hear from leaders who are in senior positions of power and um, who don't need to, frankly, be that modest. Um, but I think those leaders of the future, having that real humility and that constant willingness to learn is absolutely crucial. And I wonder when you are kind of modestly talking, you know, through the career and saying so, such and such gave me uh, gave me that chance, whether it was, uh, you know, almost the the upbringing that you came from um, and the background that you had that made you not expectant of being granted that opportunity immediately or whether almost, you know, clutched onto every opportunity, put your head above the parapet on a number of times and bravely then said, hey, why not? I'm going to step forward into that. And the reason why I mention that is because I know you're very passionate about social mobility. And this is absolute kind of living, wonderful proof that you really can come from that 
any background to go and work in, you know, the bright shining lights of the corporate, you know, so just um, you know, a couple of interesting observations there. And I, I wondered your take really, um, in particular with relation to that slightly unique upbringing and the social mobility piece. Well, uh, Lily, I say being the youngest of uh, six in a British Pakistani uh, household keeps you pretty humble. Right. Uh, because, uh, as you know, in, in that sort of family, the hierarchy is uh, is by order of birth. Right. So I'm at the bottom of that hierarchy. And when it comes to family matters, I would say I'm pretty rarely extended family and pretty rarely consulted. Uh, and uh, and that certainly keeps your feet on the ground. But so you was there You're a need right. to prove yourself, do you think, then? Because, um, and again, forgive me, I don't know loads about Pakistani culture and I'd love uh, to learn more about it, you know, whilst we're talking about this. But was that, you know, was that another kind of factor in it? I guess I do feel the need to prove myself, but more for me rather than for anybody else. Um, and, and I guess this is part of the, um, one of the, I think, key characteristics um, or attributes that one needs, I think, is it's that mixture of being humble and keeping your feet on the ground, but also um, having some belief that you can do things if only if people give you a chance and therefore what you, all, all you need is that chance. Um, and that's certainly the way that I was brought up. I mean, my, my I, I remember my the words ringing my ears from when my father used to speak to me. He, his, his, his vision for me was always reach for the stars, right? But always keep your feet on the ground. Always look below you because there, most people, even when we were, you know, living up in Yorkshire in a, you know, in a in a terrace house, perfectly fine. His view was that there are many, many people that are just worse off, and therefore there's nothing really wrong with aiming high. But always keep looking down, and that 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 was something that he taught me from the beginning, and he stayed with me uh, forever, and hopefully will hopefully will stay with me forever. And that I guess is where certainly uh, uh, the humility comes from. But the the desire to prove myself that's also a part of me, um, and I think certainly when I when I look across, and I go back up to Yorkshire often, I still got family there, and I, I look upon, you know, I, I, I still, you know, I'm, if not very close, but still closer than most to some of the communities there. One of the the the, the things that really can be sometimes disheartening is the amount of wasted talent. You can see the amount of talent that, that that's there, but perhaps the belief isn't always there. Because they're, they're, you know, for every reason the belief isn't there, the role models aren't there. There is not an expectation that you can shoot for the stars, um, and that I think is is not just a um, a, a British Pakistani thing. I think that's more common amongst a particular socio demographic um, rather than a particular ethnicity, mm. um, and hence for me, social mobility is just. Frankly, as far you know, when you when you think about it in in a UK context, you, you, we're generally talking about the old industrial towns in the north, um, and some you know some parts of London which have been left behind, where, in fact, there's a great deal of talent there, 
that needs to have a bit more belief that with a bit of hard work and drive, they can get to the top, but they need a bit of help. And, and that's why we've got to, you know, you, it, on the one hand, it's all well and good saying, actually, if they've got enough drive, they'll get there. And yes, they might. But a little bit of help goes a long way. You are so, so right with that. I think there is, and there should be a responsibility for leaders of 21st century to be sending that lift back down. Because as you say, um, you know, there's so, so, so much wasted talent. And like yourself, I came from, you know, working class background. I know we've talked about this before. We both know and love, uh, you know, fond memories of, of the North. But I... You know, I am pleased to see not only with, you know, the difficult year that we've had, that there is a lot more, you know, willingness, I think, from organisations to be looking outside their initial spheres, in particular, because of the digital transformation that we're going through. I just hope so much that businesses realise that top talent does not need to exist on the doorstep of those big cities, because there are these great communities that have talent in abundance. But as you say, if the connecting lines are not there, if there is not someone out there in the community saying, hey, you know, this is what these big organizations are about and actually you don't need to live in London, there's a possibility for it to happen. Without that connecting piece, as you say, it just isn't gonna happen without even all of the will and the hard work and the drive and the tenacity in the world. No, I, I agree with you entirely. You know, people do need a bit, bit of help, and uh, I mean, there are there are institutions out there. It's certainly something that is discussed often at Hiscox. It's something we we uh, we've been thinking about and working actively on. I have to say, we got we we've been quite serious about it for a number of years. We've, from a, a diversity and inclusion perspective, we've we've policies across the organisation to ensure that we are, I guess. To ensure that we're fishing in the largest pool possible. So the our philosophy in the business is that we want to create. You want to create an environment where everybody can thrive, right? And frankly, when you when you look at organisations, in fact, you go through history and look at civilizations, civilizations that have thrived and and come to dominate the world in one way or another, generally at their core is the fact that they have attracted people from all walks of life and from all the different parts of the world, right? A modern example of that is the US, right? But you can go back to um, uh, many uh, civilizations, in particular in the Middle East, that attracted people from all over the world, which became a melting pot for ideas. And that should be a lesson for all of us. And in, in our sort of modern day and age, uh, gender, ethnicity, socio-demographic or origins are outward indicators of diversity, right? Because those indicators mean that your, your life experience has been different. And life experiences uh, or, or different life experiences coming together is where you get the richness of conversation, the richness of, uh, uh, of outcomes. And, and that's certainly something that we are trying to promote within the organization. Our, our, our view in the organization is we want to hire the best people. Right? And in hiring the best people, we want to have as diverse a list as possible. There's no guarantees. You've just got to be, as long as we make the list as diverse as possible, 
then everybody's got a fair opportunity to get the role and we'll pick whoever we think is the best person. And I, I think if we can promote more of those type of policies and behaviours across the industry, uh, I think businesses will improve, outcomes will improve and social mobility, I think, will improve. I love that you've touched on so many different aspects there of diversity and inclusion. Uh, and as you know, we released the Mackenzie Dallas Packer review this year, very first year that we did it. And you know, back in the early days or eight months ago, I should say, and I think I told you this story previously, but I hired a, a bright young student called Jolly Packer. Hence, this first year, we named it the Mackenzie Dallas Packer review with which to recognize uh, recognize the, the contribution of the youth. And, and he'd never had a job before. You know, he came from an underprivileged background, uh, got a job at McKinsey now, uh, which is wonderful. And, and this happened through a charity called Upreach, which is all around kind of social mobility and really driving that upwards. And it's just in you know, a great kind of casing example, as you are, and um, you know, also yourself, that you really, it doesn't matter. It's about that skill. Uh, it's about that skill. It's about, you know, that, that kind of, um, you know, tapping into, you know, whoever that rich smorgasbord of the UK's kind of diverse talent doesn't matter as long as that person actually has got you know the capability and you know to do something great but just reverting back very quickly to that other point around um, you know intersectionality I think it's so important that people don't look at diversity and inclusion purely as oh it's all about gender or all it's all about race you know when you were talking about your story there I was thinking wow you know straight away you've got different culture different socio-economic background different race and ethnic you know potentially religion and, and many other different facets because actually for, for each of us we aren't just a you know a, a babe and I don't like that word but you know black Asian minority ethnic we aren't just that we're not just a someone who suffers with mental health actually it's a richness of you know often many of those things entirely uh, no I, I entirely agree with that I mean diversity it's diverse right we're, we're looking at a range of different characteristics and you know people come in all shapes and sizes or colors or religions um, beliefs and I think our uh, the key to uh, whether it's social mobility or diversity is having an environment where all of those different characteristics and attributes can thrive and that's I, I think that has to be a priority for organizations as we go forward Indeed. And it's great to hear that some good things happening at Hiscox as well. But as you say, you know, it's almost it's like it's a living, breathing, sleeping thing. And, um, you know, it's this constant evolution where we, you know, we almost can't take our foot off that gas um, because there's always more to do. Always, always more that we can do. Uh, undoubtedly. I entirely agree with that. And before we run out of time, Aki, because I'm realising that I could actually chit-chat to you for um, probably another whole podcast, frankly. So I will move us on um, slightly and just head into, I guess, some of the, the key lessons. Of, and I know we've not touched on a lot in terms of leadership, but I guess key lessons when it comes to, you know, what you have learned o- over your time and also, um, you know, what diversity, inclusion and belonging means to you personally. So I appreciate, as we've said, it means different things to different people. Yeah, I guess in terms of key lessons, I, I, I'd say that there is, there is no substitute to, uh, for hard work, right? Um, I mean, that has to be at the core um, of, of your being. And I think, you know, most people, in fact, probably all people, um, enjoy hard, productive work. I think it can be a lot of fun. And I guess the second, uh, uh, another lesson I would say is ask, don't wait to be asked. 
right? Um, let people know what you want to do. And if you, if you, if you want to take another job or take on some additional responsibility, ask. And I, I guess the third thing I would say is, um, uh, uh, again, it's a, it's a set of words which one of the, uh, one of the senior leaders I, I, I worked with uh, many years ago from Lancashire, and I don't know if it's a Lancashire saying, he said, son, what, what you've got to do is lay down concrete. And what he, what he meant was, whichever uh, job you do, you've got to make a difference. And you've, you've got to be able to look back and say, I did that. I made a difference before you move on. Um, and, uh, and those sort of lessons kind of and words kind of stick with you and roll around in your head. If you uh, live by those sort of lessons, at least some of the time, I think you'll generally do okay. It sounds very much like a northern expression that I have never heard that one before. I bet it came from the north, but it is, it is absolutely brilliant because it's kind of also saying, you know, make a name for yourself as well. And I mean that in the sense that, and, and you demonstrated throughout each of those examples within your career, is make that name for yourself so people know that, hey, you know, he or she is the one that, you know, made that change. And straight away, you're the first one in line to be seen, uh, you know, when it comes to getting a promotion or when it comes to taking on extra responsibility and um, you know, the world is a small, small place, you know, there's a small degree of separation between us. Things can get around very, very quickly uh, in industry for those who have made, made that name for themselves. So, um, so thank you for sharing that, Aki. That was all. And before we run out of time, I know I pre-warned you about this, but I'd love to ask you a couple of our lightning round questions, if you don't mind. And I'm going to give you 30 seconds or thereabouts. Okay to answer each and and toughest one probably first is secret to success i love this question yeah everyone says different things i got married when i was 20 uh and my wife was 18 so we've been married quite a while she's not so much of a secret but she is absolutely um core um to to our success i mean she's been a fantastic partner um throughout that period so that combined you know so my wife combined with hard work a degree of tenacity and then actually fundamentally just keeping your feet on the ground right um i should ask as a bolt on then secret to a successful marriage because i'm sure people listening in are thinking wow (laughs) amazing (laughs) (laughs) secret oh compromise (laughs) <laughs> Listen to your wife always. She's never wrong. Costa, if you're listening, you heard it here first. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. And what about uh, what about authentic leadership to you? Um, I think, in, in essence, it means I think t- staying true to yourself, and that does mean understanding yourself, and that is easier than it sounds. Uh, frankly, I. I I, I would say my own personal experience is you don't really know who you are or I didn't really know who I was until, frankly, I got into my 30s and you really kind of understand what makes you tick and, and, and your, your values start to coalesce into, okay, so this is, you know, into uh, a way that you can articulate them. Um, but staying true to those will keep you happy, will keep you sane and will keep you healthy. Great answer. That resonates a lot. I I truly do not feel I found myself until my 30s, which I'm in, by the way, now. Uh, (laughs) I feel feel older sometimes. (laughs) 
Um, I know you mentioned a lot of inspiration, uh, inspirational people throughout this this podcast. Many, um, you know, straight off the tip of your tongue. But who's inspired you most throughout your life? And it could be personal. It could be professional. Well, I, I, two two people I would say have inspired me a lot. One um, is my father, who um, inspired me a lot while he was alive, and even more after he passed away. Because often you don't learn the lessons until until the people go. And frankly, what I learned about him after he passed away from other people uh, in terms of what he did. And he he was a, um, he did a lot of charitable work, which I didn't even know about. And, and actually that only came to light after he passed away. And and, and, and it, it really um, blew me away. And then the other inspirational character uh, has been Muhammad Ali. And uh, Muhammad Ali was a big character in our house, right? He was a um, my father, my mum and dad were both big fans. And I remember, uh, <laughs> this is back in 1978. This is how old I am. I think I was five years old. And uh, watching Muhammad Ali's fight in black and white with Leon Spinks. And, you know, I was, I was done forevermore. He didn't win that fight, but then he came back and won again. And so he's been, a, he's been a, uh, an inspiration for a number of, you know, well, for 40 odd years. And, I mean, who couldn't be? Who wouldn't be inspired by him? Uh, a fantastic sportsman, the best in his field, charismatic, witty, principled. Uh, the things he sacrificed for his principle, being being locked away in prison because he was against the Vietnam War, um, and then, uh, uh, frankly, being so open uh, with his faith and actually using his faith, and we share faith. We're both, you know, I'm Muslim as well, uh, but using his faith to bring people together. Um, uh, so I, I'd say who, who would fail to be inspired by Muhammad Ali great choice of role models there and finally if you could take yourself back to, to the young Aki and um, obviously you've just mentioned your five year old self which is actually a perfect segue into this final question um, but I wonder if you could give your younger self any, any advice what would you say? Or indeed, it could be someone else who's in a similar position. You know, they've come from a similar background yeah. and they're about to embark on next stages into their, into their life. Um, well, I, I guess keeping it personal, I, if I could tell myself back in my teens and 20s, I'd say, uh, listen to your father more. He's, he's wiser than you think. Um, and... Uh, I, I think the the other thing, and it's, I guess it's particularly pertinent given we're in various forms of lockdown at the moment, um, I would say enjoy yourself more and travel more. See more of the world. What a great answer to finish things off with. And I'm hoping Shabazz is also listening to that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make sure he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Aki, thank you. Thank you so much. What a truly fantastic podcast. And um, true to form, I always do uh, you know, a very brief summary. And I'm going to try and keep this one brief because actually we've touched on so many rich diversities here. But you know, some of the things that really just stood out to me such a lot are um, you know, that really you are living proof that you can come from which and whatever background. But if you have that drive and that ambition, that willingness to put your head above the parapet, along with a little bit of luck and humility, you really can get to where you need to be. Although we didn't mention it, Aki, I can tell that you're a very, very good networker. And I think that is one thing which perhaps is, is not mentioned enough, in particular with some of our, our youth and those future leaders. 
networking is absolutely critical um, in really laying down the concrete, which I'll have to use that back, Aki, because I think that's a great expression. Um, but really making sure you reach out and, um, you know, I love that. Don't wait to be asked. Go and do it. What is stopping you from doing it right now? And the worst case scenario is someone says no um you know life is short you know people move on and you really can make a great name for yourself by doing being proactive really offering yourself up there to to help and support the other thing that i particularly loved and and you know is really also an educational lesson for me which i hope others have taken away from is some of those real interesting cultural idiosyncrasies i think there's a lot in learning from different people's cultures different people's backgrounds the fact that others will see things through a different lens depending on the way that the experiences they've had throughout life have really shaped their background and having that diversity of thought in particular in a boardroom context or in a decision-making leadership context is absolutely crucial. So as Aki says, if you are a leader, you're a CEO out there, take a chance uh, sometimes, um, whether that be taking a chance on the underdog in inverted commas or taking a chance on someone who shows some great potential but might not have um, the exact skills, go and do it because that attitude is something that, you know, you can't often build into people's skills. You absolutely can. So, so thank you again, Aki. And I hope I've done you justice with my very, very brief summary there. <laughs> Thank you very much. My name is Leila McKenzie-Dellis, and you've been listening to the Diverse and Inclusive Leaders podcast show. Uh, we're with you every week. You can check us out on Apple, on Spotify, on your favourite podcast app. If you've missed anything, don't worry. You can re-listen as many times as you want. There'll be a whole load of show notes as well at the end of today's show, so you can go back in and check on some of those key learning pieces throughout the podcast with Aki. Visit us at www.dalglobal.org forward slash podcast and we'll look forward to seeing you again very soon.